you're going to want to listen to today's episode of Bulletproof Radio all the way through to the end because it's full of all kinds of information about ways you can control your cellular biology and it's sort of nonstop. And at the end of the show, if you like what you hear about, I'm going to tell you about a way that you can get red light therapy and a copy of Headstrong as a gift. Even if you have the book, it's always good to have an extra copy to give to your mom. Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. If your everyday routine looks like mine used to, it includes some bloating and gas, trouble losing weight, digestive issues, and probably microbial imbalances. When I learned that my gut microbiome was directly linked to all that stuff going on, I knew I had to do something, but it was hard to know what to do. And that's how I found out about Viome and the Viome Full Body Intelligence Test. Viome stands out because it uses gene expression analysis, which is RNA, instead of DNA, to figure out what my body needs. They even use information they learn about you to create 100% custom formulated supplements and personalized probiotics just for you. Viome gave me the information I needed to really upgrade my health. I've known the team at Viome for almost 10 years and worked with them on their recommendations. It's real science. Now you can give it a try too. Go to viome.com Dave and save $110 on the full body intelligence test. Today's cool fact of the day is that a tiny version of a physics toy is actually revealing a bunch of things about quantum biology and quantum mechanics that we didn't understand. You've seen those suspended metal spheres dangling in a row where you pull on one and it hits the other one, and those are hallmarks of Newton's cradle. It's kind of cool and sort of mesmerizing, and if you were alive in the 80s, you probably saw those on the desks of executives but scientists have recreated that idea on an atomic scale, and they're using it to probe how quantum systems reach a balanced state, which is known as thermal equilibrium. For instance, if you leave a mug of hot coffee on the counter, it'll gradually cool until it reaches thermal e equilibrium, which means it matches the temperature of the room. And that thermalization process is well understood on the scale of coffee cups, but at the quantum level, no one really understands it. So the researchers studied how chaos introduction into a quantum Newton's cradle paved the way for thermalization, and they replaced those big metal spheres with a row of chilled laser-trapped atoms that were kicked into motion with a laser. And what they found was that for thermalization to happen, all the atoms have to be moving randomly, just like the jiggling molecules in your cup of coffee, instead of moving in a regular back-and-forth pattern. To achieve randomness, they took advantage of the fact that certain atoms they used are magnetic. So in addition to colliding with each other, the atoms tugged on one another. Which, why am I telling you all this stuff? Because, well, we have no idea what's going on at the atomic level. We're just figuring this out. And they found that by using a magnet, they could introduce that chaos. And the result is probably going to be important for designing ultra-small devices and quantum computers. And quantum computers are terribly important for us to be able to decode what's going on inside our own quantum biological systems, like what's happening in your cells. And this is a very cool fact of the day because we're going to be talking about cellular biology and light specifically and how light affects things with a couple experts in the field. Before we get going on the show, though, I'd like to remind you that in addition to getting everything we make on Bulletproof.com, you can also get it on Amazon. And if you've purchase Bulletproof on Amazon, I'd be so grateful if you would take a second to leave a review. One of the ways you can tell people that Bulletproof Coffee totally turns your brain on or any of the other good stuff we make 
is just to leave a quick review. So I'm grateful if you take a second to do that. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Fasting. It's one of the best biohacks because there are so many benefits to your body and it doesn't even cost anything. Fasting can help you live longer, increase your brain power, and even turn back your biological age because it induces something called autophagy. Autophagy swaps out old or damaged parts of your cells with fresh new ones. There is now an awesome product called Spermidine Life that actually tricks your body into thinking it's fasting, which triggers autophagy without any actual fasting required. Spermidine Life is extracted from non-GMO plants and it's super clean. Fast, smarter, not harder. Add Spermidine Life to your stack today, whether or not you practice intermittent fasting. Go to spermidinelife.us, use code ASPRI25 for 25% off your first purchase. Today's guests are Justin Strand and Scott Nelson, and they're the co-founders of Juve, a company that is using clinical research healing benefits of red light therapy and turn that into practical devices that you can use at home. But I'm interviewing them because we have a combination of expertise that I want you guys to, to learn from. Uh, Scott focuses on the biology of how this stuff works, and he's spent years working for large medical device companies like Medtronic, Covidin, Boston Scientific, CR Bard, uh, working on the technology of medicine. And then Justin has spent a lot of time uh, on design and engineering. So we can talk about clinical studies. We can talk about what light actually does. And if you've read Headstrong or you've looked at some of the other posts that I've done about light, uh, you'll know that it's one of the big signals that your body's listening to all the time. It's like another nutrient that comes in. And I've talked about junk light. You've heard me talk about the true dark glasses. You've heard me talk about light therapy. And the truth is that I started using light on my brain to turn my brain back on about 20 years ago with a super, <laughs> a super sketchy uh, homebrew device that once scrambled my language processing for a few hours. Uh, so the field has come incredibly far. And I was a little concerned to bring this up at the very beginning of Bulletproof because people would think light therapy was just too crazy. It was the land of unicorns. But these two guys, uh, Justin and Scott, have... Uh, been actually looking at the data all that time as well, and then came out with a company that does this stuff. So there are people who believed in it enough and did enough of the research to actually say that they wanted to make this a part of, of their life's work. So guys, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dave. It's a pleasure to be on. So we've, uh, as you mentioned, we've been digging into the science for some time now. And uh, though initially skeptical, as you mentioned, the uh, land of unicorns, um <laughs> uh, it's it's been it's really blown us away with the the potential in the field and also just the the reality that we've now experienced you know having been this in this for a few years uh, the experiences of uh, the people that are that are doing it on a daily basis. Uh, now, if you're looking for voice recognition, that is Justin, who's a design and engineering focused guy who can talk about how you actually make these lights work. Uh, and the other voice you're going to hear soon is Scott. First question for you guys is, I'm going to go back in time. 
there was this crazy guy who had a broken brain and he started a Yahoo group that's now been disbanded for more than a decade. And he said, Hey, I read this one study. There are only a couple studies about specific wavelength light and LEDs that could make specific wavelengths had just come on the market. He said, so I bought this thing and I cobbled it together and I shined it for two minutes a day down the middle of my brain and it grew my brain back. And he sold about 150 of these devices. I still have one in, in the closet. And for years, it was my most precious thing because I would use this for two minutes on my forehead and the back of my head. And I could think and my brain would turn on in a new way. And it was a infrared light, which is really fascinating. What do you think was going on with shining a bright infrared light, very similar to the emitters that you're using in the Juve on my brain, really close for two minutes at a time? That's a great question. And it's one that we've actually discussed with uh, Dr. Michael Hamblin uh, of Harvard University. Uh, and in fact, that's his favorite thing to do with photobiomodulation or light therapy is actually treat his brain. And and the the theory there is because of the specific wavelengths of light are able to help restore healthy cellular function. And more importantly, near infrared is uh, capable of penetrating through uh, muscle and even bone tissue to reach the brain. Uh, and so it's, it's actually quite effective uh, for a number of uh, brain function uh, benefits. All right. So the doctor uh, researcher says it definitely works. He likes to use it. But what's going on biologically with an infrared light on my brain? I'm going to ask Scott this one. <laughs> I'll take this one. And for those listening, this is Scott. Dave, uh, Dave had a nice intro. But um, but yeah, this all um, this all kind of goes 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 back to the the, the core fundamental fundamental uh, mechanism of action around light therapy is is at a cellular level, more specifically at a at a mitochondrial level. And I know Dave, you've you've done you've you've produced a fair amount of content and spoke a lot about you know the importance of mitochondrial function. But um, you know, at, at a high level, uh, specific wavelengths of light are helping our our mitochondria produce more t- more ATP. And if you want to kind of peel back the the layers of the onion a little bit, um, you know, this most photomedicine researchers, um, although the field is still relatively new, most, most, uh, most science, you know, scientists that study this on a, on a daily basis, um, really hone in on the fourth phase of, of cellular respiration is kind of where the magic happens. And if we kind of, uh, harken back to our, our high school biology classes during that fourth phase of cellular respiration, the goal of our mitochondria is to create this, this, this gradient, this energy gradient, um, during, you know, through the electron transport chain, we get basically two sides of the, of the, of the, of the ETC, as it's often referred to as where one side is, has a very, you know, negative charge. The other side has a, has a, has a positive charge. And so what happens when our cells aren't functioning properly, you don't get this gradient, right? So this gradient becomes, um, there's not as, as much of a significant difference in, in the charges. And so one enzyme in particular, nitric oxide, when our cells produce too much of it, it has a tendency to bind to certain protein enzymes that transfer across this gradient. And so electrons aren't spinning off. And so specific wavelengths of light, as Justin mentioned, you know, in the typically in the mid to near infrared, or uh, I'm sorry, the low to mid 800 nanometer range or the near infrared or IRA, IRA range. And then in the, the low to mid 600 nanometer range, there's enzymes that have sort of an affinity to these these photons of light. Cytochrome C oxidase is one of those enzymes, and so these specific wavelengths of light help actually to break certain th- those bonds that nitric oxide um, creates with you know certain enzymes like cytochrome C oxidase, helping your cells spit off more electrons that then create this gradient where then you can produce more ADP and then which you know is then converted into ATP or cellular energy. So that's actually sort of what's happening at a at a at a sort of a biochemical level. Uh, when it comes to uh, light therapy and uh, and, and, and the, the end goal of producing more ATP. 
It's funny you mentioned those 800s. The light that I used years ago was the only one available. It was 880, if I remember right. Uh, which What frequencies in that 800 range are you guys using in Juve? Uh, 850. 850, okay. Yeah. I actually think there's more research on that now than there back in the day. It was just, there was no LEDs available. And it, it's hard to express what a difference this thing made. And I'd use it and I'd get really tired and then I'd wake up the next day and I was smarter for lack of a better word. And that was just one. And now you have these huge panels of emitters. You, know, you can lay on the thing. Well, you can't quite lay on it. You stand next to it, but it's, it's, it's big enough to cover your whole body. And that is going to have effects at a cellular level. But let's talk about nitric oxide for a minute. A lot of people listening have heard me talk about nitric oxide. And there's people with beetroot products to increase nitric oxide. But there's a little bit of biochemistry that I think is worth talking about. It turns out there's three kinds of uh, nitric oxide that your body has. There's neural nitric oxide uses in the brain. There's endothelial in the uh, in the circulation system, which is the one that we're always looking for. You know, basically, better erections, uh, better <laughs> better <laughs> blood flow everywhere in the body that blood needs to flow. And then there's also one called inducible. And this is the one that's relatively toxic. And there's actually three different genes you can have called NOS1, NOS2, and NOS3 that help your body know how much of which one you're likely to produce. And when you get inflammation, you get too much inducible nitric oxide or nitric oxide synthase, actually. And what happens with that then is you get inflammation because it turns to peroxynitrite in the cells, which creates free radicals. And you have to have really strong mitochondria to turn off the free radicals and you basically get jacked up. So for some of us taking lots of nitric oxide, things even like arginine is actually going to trigger inflammation. And for the rest of us, it's going to trigger a better date, <laughs> which is or a better brain. What is light doing when we're shining it on our brain or on our junk? <laughs> a little bit of a little bit of a loaded question, but I'm glad you brought that up because I remember even in your interview with Dr. Mercola, I think maybe it was close to a year ago now. You, I think I remember you speaking directly about um, the different forms of nitric oxide. But beyond just brain, that's one of the reasons light therapy specifically enhances so many different physiological functions: brain function, muscle recovery, reducing joint pain and inflammation. Um, you know, aesthetic benefits like skin health, et cetera, incre increased collagen levels, is because of that core mechanism of action. And I mentioned nitric oxide. It is one of the enzymes that does tend to bind to other important enzymes that we need to sort of cross that that ETC um, barrier. But it, it does nitric oxide does it does have a tendency excess inducible nitric oxide does have a tendency to to easily bind to those important enzymes. And so light therapy actually helps break those bonds, sort of spinning off uh, the needed electrons in order to create that 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 gradient across the electron transport chain. But because that 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 gradient is so important. Because it's it's like the fundamental, you know, end product of of the fourth phase of cellular respiration is is to create ADP, you know, adenosine diphosphate. So you know, the more with with the addition of a hydrogen atom, we can create ATP. So yeah. and and for the biohackers out there, we've all by now heard of ATP, which is that mm -hmm. primary energy enzyme in the body. And the the T stands for tri, which has three P's on it, uh, which are phosphates. And in normal cellular respiration, when you burn uh, an ATP, you throw off one of the phosphors, get the electron, and then you have two left, which is DI or ADP. And then quite often you make some AMP where you lose the extra one. And the problem is that it's really hard for your body to make new ATP. It's biologically very expensive to make these little things. 
And normally when you have AMP, you just pee it out. And one of the things that, that I formulated as I was writing Headstrong is called a Forbos. And it's a set of things that actually will scavenge AMP back to ADP so you can put it back into that energy production chain. And if you do that and you add light therapy to it, what we're talking about here is the ability for the body to heal faster, to turn on a young person's metabolism and all this. And light seems to be one of the most effective triggers. Ketones really help, uh, proper cellular hydration, having the right uh, B vitamins, the right minerals, all that stuff matters. But even if you line all that stuff up, you still might not get things turned on without light therapy, which is why I'm, I'm happy that, that you guys are on the show and that you're out doing the work you're doing in the world because I don't know that I would be sitting here doing what I'm doing if I hadn't had the ability to uh, use LEDs and lasers and things like that to make my body do what I wanted it to do. But couldn't I just go out in the sun? What's the difference? I'll let Justin answer that in a second. But I, I think you bring up a really good important or an important point even a few minutes ago when you brought up the uh, the idea that 10 years ago, this science sounded way too woo-woo. And, 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 and quite honestly, if you asked me the question two or three years ago, uh, before sort of the uh, the uh, the origin of of, of Juve was I, I would have thought the same thing until looking at the clinical data. But the reality is, it may sound like we're talking a lot of biology, but all of this is you know really physics. You know, at a yeah. cellular level, it's it's biophysics. Um, so it's just kind of interesting that you brought up that story about you know it's sounding woo woo, but this is really all just physics and energy at a, at a cellular level, which I think is really important. But to answer your question about the sun, that's that's a great one. I'll pass the baton here to Justin. Yeah, so that's that's a great question and. As we pulled up your driveway here this morning, we saw you, you know, outside engaging in some uh, nice taking in some rays. From I was the sun. totally naked, laying in the front yard. They, <laughs> they snuck up on me with a camera. Guys, don't post that. <laughs> Actually, I just I just had my shirt off, but <laughs> no. But uh, no, we're definitely fans of getting as much natural light as as uh, as possible. Uh, the problem is for for most people that can be a challenge. So whether you're um, for your, your requirements at work or your latitude where you live. We are in Canada. So, <laughs> so a lot of things working against you. So there's, there's definitely challenges there to get the, the natural amount of sunlight that, that we should be getting. And certainly that's something that's changed over time, say over the past even 100 to 200 years, just as a society uh, and our lifestyle has changed. But beyond that, I would say with, with light therapy, what we're able to do is get a high dosage of the specific wavelengths that are really able to help restore this healthy cellular function in a, with a short, relatively short time period. And those are one of the things that, that we wanted to design for early on was to provide a product where people could get a significant dosage so that they could really receive those benefits in a time period that would uh, be something they could fit into their daily lifestyle. And that's really important. When I, I created this this biohacking field, I didn't trademark the term because I wanted a name for what we did. And the definition uh, when I first published it was, is the art and science of changing the environment around you and inside of you so that you have control of your own biology. And what you're saying is critically important. Look, we're commuting. Uh, we're driving cars with windows that block normal light. We're in offices a lot of the time and we're not naked in the sun. And if we were, we'd probably have some problems because you can get too much sunlight. So you're getting lots of the UV and you absolutely need UV. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you get way too much of it in an effort to get more of this red light or more of the infrared light, then you're probably not going to like what happens over time either. So now what you're saying is people can actually get a higher dose per minute, which is going to have a different effect than a lower dose from sunlight. 
even though sunlight is very full spectrum, uh, the problem is you can get too much of it and it may not be where you live and you're probably indoors doing something that was a better use of your time than laying in the sun for 40 minutes a day, which is awesome if you can do it. Mm-hmm. So it's that giving people time back is something that you can do with light therapy because it's just not feasible for most of us to get that much time in the sun. Uh, but you guys both have a tan and these red and infrared tube lights don't provide tans. I'm guessing you guys aren't afraid of the sun? Exactly. No, we, we definitely enjoy uh, getting out uh, and, and getting the UV rays that, as you mentioned, are, are very important. Um, in fact, there's a lot of uh, interesting research surrounding the benefits of getting red and near-infrared both before your body is exposed to UV and actually afterwards during the before, if you're getting basically red and near infrared, near and red and near infrared light before getting UV, it actually helps prepare the cells so that they can have a basically a natural uh, protection, uh, so that they can harness the beneficial aspects of of UV rays to produce that vitamin D, and then actually in the evening where you where sunlight would provide naturally a higher level of red and, and near infrared, it actually helps restore and repair. So it's, it's very interesting. And what most of us do when we get sunlight is we stay indoors all week long. And then when it's 85 degrees on a Saturday, we go and lay out during the hottest, most UV intense part of the day. And then we wonder why we have, you know, these problems with, with sunlight. So it's very interesting because, you know, skin cancer and all these things that, that are blamed on sunlight, we didn't have these 150 or, you know, 200 years ago, you know, when we were actually out in the sun getting red and near infrared spectrums of the morning and then the evening sunlight as well. It's really funny that exposure to fluorescent lights is more highly correlated with melanoma than exposure to sunlight. But sunburns are highly correlated. And it's funny, if your cellular respiration is working better, say because you pre-treated with red and infrared light, then your cells are going to be able to better handle the load that UV puts on the cells. And if you have the right nutrients, Uh, I use something called eye armor that we manufacture that's specifically for your eyes, but it's full of astaxanthin, which really can help with sun exposure. It's one of these rare types of antioxidants that have an an effect on that. If you're doing those kinds of things and you're eating a diet with the right kinds of fats in it, uh, the stuff that I recommend in Bulletproof Diet and Headstrong, your resilience to sun goes up. So it's very rare for me to get sunburn, even if I'm out for an hour without sunscreen on. It just generally doesn't happen. But if I'm out for two or three hours, uh, then I'm going to use an amazing technology um, that that really just came out, I think. It's called a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> you, you guys agree with that perspective? Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. Do you recommend people put anything on their skin before using a juve light with a red and infrared uh, therapies? I mean, should I be using not obviously not tanning lotion, but should I be smearing butter on my skin or anything? Like? <laughs> well, we'd love to hear the uh, the re- results of that study. If you if you <laughs> did, if you, did you see the the April first uh, butter lip balm video? Oh, that was the best ever. So for people listening to, if you haven't seen that, you just Google Bulletproof uh, Butter butter Chapstick or Butter Lip Balm. It was the best <laughs> video ever. I smeared butter all over my face from a chapstick tube in the uh, for, for April Fool's. It was awesome. Uh, but but uh, I, I actually do think there's probably some additional benefit to be had from putting on uh, things on your skin, whether it's a hormone cream or just the specific things that can absorb through the skin and then exposing yourself to something that causes cells to work better because they'll take it in faster. But you guys don't have any studies on anything like that. There are some of the most interesting studies done on that. I mean, to answer your question, normally we basically recommend that, that people don't have, that they 
do the treatments on bare skin because a lot of types of lotions and things that, or creams that people would use would tend to inhibit or, or block uh, part of the, the light and, and if anything more likely to, I guess, do more damage than good. That being stead, said, there are some very interesting studies that have been done with uh, green tea extract. Uh, where they are basically applying that on a, like a damp uh, cloth that's been soaked in it uh, on the skin and actually have improved the results for skin health benefits, reducing wrinkles, those sorts of benefits by a significant time period where they see improved uh, benefits. So, yeah, that's that's something that's definitely been interesting. Yeah, and on, speaking of green tea, most you know, it, it, most people would think it's because of the high ORAC score of green tea that you'd, you'd see some some additional and benefits. ORAC means ability, it's a, the strength of the antioxidants mm-hmm. for people listening, right? But actually, when you look at and you do, do a quick PubMed search on green tea, and actually there's loads of published studies around the enhanced cell signaling benefits yeah. of green tea. That, that's why it's in polyphenomenal, our, yeah. our supplement for that stuff. Yeah. Uh, and w- here's, here's what I do before I use uh, the Juve. Um, I use some topical stuff. I use the Alatura Gold Gold Serum. Andy Nilo's been on the show three or four times, and uh, he's a model who ripped half his face off uh, a long time ago in a car accident and then recovered using the Bulletproof Diet and made a clay mask. But he has some stuff that contains copper peptides uh, and some marine collagen and a bunch of antioxidants. And what I do is I take that and I actually add a little bit of methylene blue, which is something I wrote about in Headstrong. uh, And I put that on my face and then I stand in front of the light. And, and what the reasons I do that are, I've noticed a difference. The, the spectrum of light that you guys are using um, is definitely reduces wrinkles and it causes thicker collagen in your skin. So I'm eating lots of bulletproof collagen. I'm putting this other stuff on that is definitely light activated. And as far as my research shows, doesn't block any of this stuff. And I stand in front of the light. And I'm like, man, people are saying regularly, um, that I'm, I look younger now than I did three years ago, and I've done all sorts of stuff uh, that that's you know, going into the the blog and some of the other content I'm producing, uh, where I'm looking to tell people here's all these weird things, but if you stack them, they work well. And I think light is fundamental. Any thoughts on uh, having copper peptides, having these other things in conjunction with your light therapy? There is, there's not as much probably research around copper, but there is some that does suggest um, enhanced benefits when using some sort of copper extract along with light for for skin for skin benefits there's there's not there's there's it's 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 fairly limited right now but um but there is definitely some some pretty pretty clear evidence that suggests that works in fact we're big fans of, of Andy and his work with oh, Al- you guys know Andy. yeah okay, Alter- cool. yeah in fact we're you know it's it, we're pretty early but we're we are, we're in, in 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 the process of trying to work on uh you know a, a compound specifically our formulation specifically <laughs> for, you know, to, to be used with, with, with the juve. So I totally um, did not know that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, well, it, it, it makes sense. Uh, but it's, it's a small world. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's one of the, the joys of, of being a biohacker is you see a study like, Oh, can I get that? So I, I've injected far more research chemicals than probably makes sense. Uh, because, well, this clinical research is really good. And you look at the mechanism of action and, you know, we don't know the long-term effects, but the truth be told, we don't know the long-term effects of combining uh, whatever your favorite lotion is uh, with toast. <laughs> no right. one's ever looked at the combinatorial thing. Mm-hmm. Like there's all sorts of crap out there that we do every day. Say, oh, there's no risk, but we actually don't know. So when I'm choosing to do something that has strong benefits, I, at least if you know what you're doing, it seems like that that's pretty helpful. So I'll do stuff 10, 20 years before it might be accepted. And if it's disproven, it's unlikely to be terribly harmful. And if it is harmful, hopefully we can mitigate the effects. But red light has passed that. 20 years ago, I think red and infrared light was a little sketchy and I was highly skeptical. Um, but let me tell you another story about 
my second experience with light. This is my first experience with red light. Um, this was in the, the late 90s, and I was driving home from work, and some guy in a BMW 750 was looking at his phone, um, hits the car behind me at a stoplight, it hits me and gives me um, pretty nasty whiplash. And this is the second time I'd had whiplash. And the first time it took me almost a year to recover. And, and whiplash actually causes traumatic brain injuries. Like it sloshes your brain around. And for me, I just had terrible upper back pain. My hands were ice cold, headaches. And I, I just felt worked over. I couldn't think. And I talked to a, a naturopath friend of mine. He said, Dave, try this medical laser thing. And, and he, we're actually at Santana Row in San Jose. And he pulls it out of a restaurant. I'm like, okay, this is weird. So I stick it down my shirt. And within three minutes of this pulsing, uh, I think it has infrared in it, but it was definitely red, infrared, maybe some violet. It was just red and infrared. And within three minutes, I felt three almost lightning bolts of, of something go up my spine. The muscles that were knotted just let go and my hands got warm. And I looked at him and I said, how much is that? I'm buying one because this is going to save me a year of driving to chiropractors and massage and physical therapy and just trying to get better. And I was fine in a few weeks after using uh, the laser, but it specifically pulsed. So a couple of questions come out of that. First one is, what's the difference between a laser and LED when it comes to this photobiomodulation kind of therapy? That's that's one of the first things that, that we looked at because uh, low-level laser therapy or LLT, also called uh, cold laser therapy, has been around for decades and has been proven to be quite effective for different types of recovery. So uh, physical therapist, you, you know, you bang up your knee, um, or you're recovering for after surgery. It's, you know, it's been proven for, for some time. Um, but really what's more, what's, what's relatively new is the aspect of being able to do the same thing with LEDs. And that was really proven by a handful of studies in the nineties that basically demonstrated that the, 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 basically the important factor was the wavelength and the intensity of the light. Uh, so essentially your cells don't care what technology created the photons that they're being bombarded with. They basically just care about the intensity and the wavelength. Uh, and, you, and what they found is you can, you can accomplish that with, with LEDs. So with the advancements in, in technology, you can basically replicate what you're doing with a laser with, with LEDs. Only now you can do it with a much more cost-effective product and you can do it over a much larger treatment area. This thing I used had a treatment area about the size of uh, maybe two $1 coins. It was relatively small and it ran about five grand. Yep. I ended up meeting the guy who created this and he was this older dentist guy who invented the first dental laser in, sometime in the seventies or something. And he had the most perfect set of teeth I'd ever seen. And he was talking all about jaw alignment and he'd invented this light specifically, this laser specifically to affect the trigeminal nerve. And if uh, people listening are interested in jaw alignment, TMJ, sleep apnea, I interviewed Dwight Jennings, who's a, a jaw alignment specialist. So I realigned my jaw that totally changed my nervous system, which was really kind of cool. And the whole time I'm using this red and infrared laser on my jaw to chill out all the inflammation that's driven in the trigeminal nerve, which if it's inflamed, it'll inflame the vagus nerve, which controls a lot of stuff throughout the body. Uh, including fight or flight response. So if your your jaw is misaligned, you're grinding your teeth all the time, you have a bad bite, you're probably going to be in fight or flight way more than you want to without any knowledge that's going on. So I, I hacked that in myself, but light therapy was a major part of it. So the, your first question was laser versus LED, and you're saying now they're pretty similar. Uh, the second part of that though is why 
did it work differently when the laser pulsed? And this is different than the wavelength. This is uh, how often it turns on and off per second, which is measured in, in hertz. So what's the deal with blinking lights? Do they matter? That's a great question. And it's one that uh, I think will be very interesting to see what science uh, really comes out with, especially over the next five to 10 years. There is a significant number of studies that have been done on testing various uh, frequencies. But I would say the jury's still out on terms of what frequency is best. But what we do know for sure is that at a relatively stable pulse, uh, specifically around the 60 hertz or 120 hertz, is that there are significant uh, benefits to be made. Yeah, and, and just to add that, that the, the gold standard within the, the photobiomodulation community is continuous wave therapy. I mean, that across the board, you talk to any photomedicine researcher, they'll say, by far and away, continuous wave, there, there's so much evidence that supports it. In fact, there's over 200 double-blind placebo-controlled studies on continuous wave um, light therapy. And but, what that means is a light that, that turns on and stays on. Yeah. But, but that's actually a lie for LEDs, because LEDs work by turning on and off faster than you can see them. They're never a continuous wave. Even though the LED junk lights we put in our houses now, sure, they, they blink, you just can't see it. Right. And, and so on, on that note, there is a, there's, there's a small subset of research on pulse technology, but as Justin mentioned, the the frequency the, the the frequency at which those lights are it, it's all over the all over the place in terms of what research is showing what frequencies work the best everything from ten hertz to twenty hertz to two hundred hertz to a thousand hertz across the board some some studies show that they work better than sort of continuous wave or and some studies say it, it doesn't so the sort of the you know just as Justin mentioned the the jury's sort of out in terms of uh, what that looks like on a on a cellular level and it kind of makes sense because we kind of understand. That um that we we understand kind of going back to what we, we talked about earlier with the mechanism of action we understand sort of the the gradients that occur during the fourth phase of cellular respiration but there is sort of limited information on what those those ion ion how those ion channels um how how they respond to different frequencies and I think that's with more understanding around that sort of that that um that mechanism of action I think there there may be some a little bit more definitive guidance as to what that looks like. One more thing to add on that as well. So when you see a study on on pulsed light, typically even with LEDs, what they're doing is doing a true start stop, where it's uh, total, where the light is totally turned off and then it's totally turned back on. Whereas the natural pulsing that's happening uh, because of the alternating current is as a much more of a wave and not a true start stop, which is what would you typically see in, in a at a true pulsed light study. One of the reasons that I know that there's a difference from pulsing lights is that I can feel a difference. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that beginning of the scientific method, which is, what is it? Oh, it's observation, right? <laughs> so it, like, oh, if I hit myself with a hammer twice, it hurts more than once. Therefore, I know hitting twice without a further study. So the fact that you can feel a difference, even if your eyes are closed and you're shining on the you know, back of your leg or something, there's it's a subtle difference, but you can feel it. So something different going on. But uh, maybe one to two years ago, I went to a conference and I want to think it was called the near future conference, but I could have the name a little bit wrong. And this was really neat because it had a bunch of, uh, investors, uh, futurists, uh, researchers. It, it was a lot of fun. And it was held down there uh, by the Salk Institute, uh, in San Diego. And instead of having the normal networking mixer party, which if anyone's ever been to a networking event is kind of boring, they said, we're going to mix things up and we're going to have a pajama party. So apparently at the time, maybe unicorn onesies were on sale uh, because almost everyone shows up to this party, all these VCs and CEO types wearing unicorn onesies, which was hilarious. 
and not getting the memo about unicorns and being too busy to actually order my own pajamas, I had emailed my assistant and said, hey, could you order some pajamas for me? So she orders bright red Hugh Hefner satin pajamas for me. So we're all standing around at this really nice place looking like total idiots. And one of the people who spoke was a researcher, a neuroscientist from Harvard who had studied pulsing lights. And being from Harvard and all, uh, she didn't wear her uh, her pajamas to the party and, and thought we were all nuts. And I ended up sitting on a couch next to her for an hour and talking about her research. And I tricked her into thinking I was a neuroscientist, not on purpose. She just assumed because uh, I was asking weird questions about BDNF. And she explained her research. And I'm, I wish I could remember her name off the top of my head. I need, to, I need more light on my brain for this. Uh, but she'd actually started a company. And what she found was that 40 hertz did specific things for breaking up Alzheimer's tangles in the brain, but not 39 hertz and not 41 hertz. And if we can have research results like that out there, I am just going to go out on a limb, which isn't really a limb at all. It's just looking at their data and say, pulsing matters. But I'd also say, I don't think we know what rates do what yet, but that allowing people to control the pulse rate on, on their light seems like a really good idea. So you guys can, uh, can talk more potentially about it, but saying the research isn't in on what to pulse is there, but I think it's very accurate uh, to just say, look, <laughs> it matters. We're not sure how much, and we don't exactly know what to do. That's where my, my personal, which is relatively biased perspective is anything to add to that flashing matters or doesn't matter. So I, I think you're, you're spot on. I think most, most people would say that there's kind of two aspects to pulsing. One would be the ability to to generate uh, more power in a relatively short amount of time without risk of overheating. So you can actually deliver that um, that energy deeper into tissue because you know most people that say every centimeter you're losing about ninety percent of the uh, of the of the energy. So th- that's one aspect. But the other aspect that's a little bit more unknown is what you I think what you just hit on, Dave, is um is at, at a mitochondrial level. What is that frequency? How are how are how are our cells, our mitochondria specifically, responding? in terms of the resonance of the uh, of that frequency our brain cells they may respond to a different resonance i think it's pretty clear that 40 hertz ish range they respond better other cells of our body it may be a little bit different and so when you look at a lot of the pulse the the studies that have been done on pulsed photobiomodulation that's why the the evidence is still unclear because there's not definitive studies done at the specific wavelengths on brain tissue versus muscle tissue versus other types of cellular tissue so i think it's a little bit unclear but Per your comment about observation, it's clear that there's something there that is uh, that is that is pretty interesting and probably probably worth exploring. But the other thing that I would point out is, you know, kind of to, to circle back around to sort of the earlier part of our conversation is that at the end of the day, whether we're pulsing using pulse light or continuous wave light, we we need more light in in general. You know, we don't get enough of it, and so um, the, the the major drawback to pulsed light is that it's you know it's typically more expensive to manufacture. And Justin could probably speak to this more than, than I could. It's less studied to be, yeah. to be perfectly mm-hmm. clear. And so you guys, I think um, the juve doesn't pulse right now, um, but I imagine you're thinking about it. The problem is how do you know uh, mm-hmm. what pulse rate to put in there? And I think the research is just coming out, but to support your point there, standing in front of the juve, which is something I do on a very regular basis. I mean, you, you guys have, have seen it. You're here at Bulletproof Labs Alpha where I test all my stuff. Uh, so I, I stand in front of the light and I I actually last night came back from a trip to New York. I went there, there and back in 36 hours uh, to do some video for Amazon. 
and airplanes wreck your biology <laughs> on a cellular level. So I was sitting there when I came back with the smaller juve panel on my upper back and and definitely uh, feel feel a difference when I do that sort of thing. So I'm very happy to use continuous stuff and I'm very curious about what's coming down the road. Uh, do you, how soon do you think we're going to have enough research for you guys to say, you know, let's, let's put something pulsed in here. Yeah. I think your initial, the idea that you had, which, uh, we've, we've discussed actually is, is giving, uh, that control to, to the user where they could actually choose, uh, the frequency of that, of that pulsing based on, you know, maybe the research that, that they've been looking at for a specific, uh, condition that they're trying to treat because there is a lot of, uh, research out there, uh, you know, whether it's for brain function or for muscle recovery there, it absolutely exists. But to your point, you know, we're not yet to the point where we know exactly which, uh, which frequencies to use. So that could very well be the way that it gets really introduced to, to the industry is where there, that ability to, to adjust it certainly is a viable solution. Yeah. And one of the, one of the thing to add to that is that we, we have a, um, a, a, a keen interest in in doing more studies. That's one of the reasons our devices are now class two cleared by FDA. Is it's going to be tough to get an IRB approval uh, with a class one indication and so or a class one clearance. And so, Just explain what those are for people who don't know what IRB is or don't know what the different classes are. Yeah. So so they're in in the world of uh, you know the medical device and you're operating in a, in a in a pretty regulated environment with FDA and CDRH in in, in particular. Um, there's three different classes: class one, class two, and class three. Class one is sort of a layup for the most part, you're still under sort of the purview of, of FDA. So it's still important to have a class one, um, class one clearance, but class two and class three in particular, um, it's, you, you have to like all of your processes across the board have to be sort of leveled up from a, not just a manufacturing standpoint, but also, um, but also how you're, how you in essence commercialize and put your, put your devices in the hands of, 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 of everyone. You have to, you know, check a, an onerous amount of boxes when it comes to that, and that and class three is even even higher than that. So class three would be a, you know, a heart valve, something like that. Okay. Um, um, and so and, and any any more with CDR CDRH, you get sort of some hybrid programs like the de novo pathway as an example. But in order to to fund a study, you typically have to have IRB approval, investigate investigative uh, board of of typically physicians. Um, have to approve your study and they're never going to do that if your devices aren't, aren't at least class two cleared by FDA. And so, um, that was one of the reasons we, uh, you know, our devices in our, in our class two, uh, have class two clearances. We, we want to do a lot more of that, that type of work. Um, pulsing being one of the avenues we, we probably want to explore in more detail. A lot of people listening probably are unfamiliar with that stuff. And it's funny because I come out of you know, the world of technology where if you want to build something, you kind of write the code and release it on the world and you see what happens. And if you don't like it, you change the code. But when it comes to running a, a food company, especially a disruptive one like Bulletproof, there's a lot of rules you have to follow. Just crazy levels of rules that are invisible to people. So oftentimes you wonder, well, why does food cost so much? Well, there's a 50% regulatory burden. Uh, we've spent probably more than a million dollars on tests right now that aren't the tests that I would like to run, <laughs> the ones that would provide the most value, but they're ones that allow us to check boxes in order to be a, a you know, very high quality food manufacturer and to pass those. But when you cross over to medical devices and a lot of people listening don't know, I was CTO of one of the wristband tracking companies uh, that Intel bought for $100 million and went through this before that, a stick on heart rate monitor for hospital use. And the level of regulatory stuff on medical things is crazy. 
And so you guys are going down that path. And this is why med tech companies oftentimes raise hundreds of millions of dollars, even though their actual product cost isn't that high because they're spending a lot of money on proving stuff so they can say what it does. Uh, and so you're, I would say, a third of the way down the path of doing that. Is that pretty accurate? I'd say we're probably a little bit further than, okay. than, than halfway third. down. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's certainly there's some there's some uh, from from the, from the the standpoint of, of CDRH was sort of a, a, a sub, not subsidiary. That's probably a poor description, but it's almost a a separate group within within FDA. Um, you know, there, there's certain indications or claims that we can make about light therapy devices based on other predicate devices. Um, but we have a much. I think we have a you know as as a team as sort of the, the broader Juve team. We have a we have just like just like with a lot of the stuff you're doing with bulletproof we have an, we have an interest in um kind of doing the the basics right but also we have a a much broader interest in in doing more research around some of the more interesting topics as well you know wh- whether we end up going down sort of the de novo pathway where we're actually funding trials and actually getting indications that that aren't available right now from the from the FDA standpoint um that's sort of where our heads are at um we want to do more interesting interesting research um around UV light in particular, pulse light, um, different, different wavelengths, um, of light, especially. So, um, that all requires, um, a significant amount of, as you mentioned, a significant regular regulatory, uh, burden. And so I think we're a little bit further down that path. Um, but, uh, but there's still a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff that we want to do for sure. Do you ever just shine light on mice? There's a fair amount of, of clinical data that just, that's just animal alone. Yeah, for sure. And in terms of, of animal research, uh, light therapy testing on animals is unlikely to cause substantial harm to the animals. <laughs> <laughs> they probably feel really good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They actually, it's one of the few animal studies where they across the board they almost benefit. Um, I mean, that, that's the, the interesting thing about photobiomodulation. We get this question a lot: is can you use it during pregnancy or for other types of conditions? And there's really not a whole lot of of of, of side effects. I mean, there's certainly studies that some studies that have been published that showcase they, you know, the the researchers didn't see any clinical efficacy, but you'd be hard pressed to find a study where it actually led to downstream negative effects. And so, um, I think that's pretty, pretty important, pretty important aspect. Uh, you remember the old flowers for Algernon, uh, book, read that in seventh grade. It's a real famous work of literature. And the idea is there's a guy who's profoundly mentally impaired and he goes through some experimental procedure that makes him the smartest person on earth uh, for a while. And then he returns back to his state. And, and there's this whole moral ethical dilemma in that that says, would you do it? And there's a group of people who say, oh, no, I would rather never have that. And I don't understand those people. <laughs> Just that, those are not my tribe. Uh, I'm like, hell yeah, give me five minutes of being the smartest person on earth, even if when I'm done, I'm back to myself. But then there's the question, if you did something really powerful, but then when you were done, you might die. And there's a class of people, they're called Olympic gold medalists. And they've done surveys on these guys and women. And and they, they say, you know, to be the best in the world, even if I knew I was going to die in five years, I would probably do that because they're so motivated. But right now, when it comes to experimenting on yourself as a biohacker, there's that whole range from would it be amazing but high risk or would this be amazing or maybe do nothing and low risk. And I think light therapy falls into that. It's relatively safe, uh, but it still could have negative things. And let me go back to the negative thing. When I shined that infrared light over my language processing center, it's a little bit above the left ear and back. And I did this because my wife is Swedish 
And when she speaks Swedish or French or the other three languages she speaks, but specifically Swedish and French, my auditory processing is not like normal humans. So to me, it sounds like mush. I, I don't make out the individual sounds at all. And it's frustrating because she can say one word to me and I'll say back a different word and, and she laughs at me. And this has been irritating for years. So I'm just going to hack that. So I shine the light on there for about two minutes and then I stopped. And for the next four hours, I would speak garbled words in English. And it didn't help me hear <laughs> foreign languages any better, but it scared the crap out of me. So it's possible that could have been a heating effect. I have no idea. So what I did after that was only 30 seconds, not two minutes, and it seems to be fine. But so it's probably possible to overexpose specifically parts of the brain. But if you're doing a panel format, like you're doing with Juve, I mean, what I was doing was I was pressing the LED, a single one high powered right up against one spot of the brain. And what you're doing is a whole skin exposure. So I think even that would be a very low risk kind of scenario. Yes, and the the total energy dosage dosage that you're looking at is actually very similar to sunlight. So right around very the neighbor, yeah, okay. very, right around the neighborhood of 100 milliwatts per square centimeter, or about six joules per minute. If you're you know looking at studies where with dosages, but uh, kind of touching back on the early topic of uh, FDA approval and regulatory burdens and so forth. What we've really uh, tried to do from the very beginning is is provide a device that we know works well, that is cost effective enough so that people can use it every day in their own homes. And it's not something that has to be regulated to a doctor's office or a spa that they can only use it you know, once or twice a week. And, and I'm just going to go out on a limb here and, and say it is absolutely unacceptable on a human rights perspective that you're required to get a permission slip to use any piece of technology on earth that exists. So if you want to buy something and do something really stupid, you should be allowed to do that even if you totally burn your own arm off or whatever. <laughs> and I'm just saying that because if we're going to allow people to drive fast cars on racetracks where they might die, we're going to let them ski downhill at high speeds where they might die, what the hell? Why can't I buy some crazy medical thing and do it? And I don't know. It just seems to make sense that it's a basic freedom issue. But even that said, this isn't a dangerous kind of technology, but it's one that I think is really useful because the data that I've come up with uh, and just the writing and the research I've done, there's definite improvements in collagen in your skin, especially if you're eating collagen at the same time. Your muscles recover faster, so you're not as sore after workouts. You can actually perform better after light therapy and athletic stuff. Joint pain, I use that laser and I've used LEDs on my knee back when it used to hurt all the time because I've had three surgeries on it. I had arthritis in my knee since I was 14. I don't typically have knee problems uh, anymore, but it totally works on joint pain. I injured my shoulder. I used the, the juve light on my shoulder along with all sorts of weird injectables, but I avoided surgery after a bone on bone separated shoulder and I have full range of motion back in my shoulder. That's kind of badass, right? I avoided cutting things open. Uh, it also for mental clarity, we talked about that already uh, and improvements in sleep. But the one thing we haven't talked about yet is growing hair. I've always wanted to grow my initials on my chest in chest <laughs> hair. Can you know um, hair growth with red lights is something that I've, I've read about for a long time and I've all the guys in my family are pretty much bald in their mid twenties. So I've kept my hair pretty well and I'm actually working on growing more of it and actually have more hair growing and I'm doing all sorts of crazy stuff I'll share later. But um, part of that is definitely red light therapy. So talk to me about the red light spectrum and hair growth or any of these other things I just listed, not just infrared, but the red part. 
Yeah, no, that's a that's a, a definite definitely an issue for for men especially that uh, that it, there's quite a bit of studies uh, on light therapy and those benefits for for hair growth and actually specifically for me uh, I'll, I'll lean over here you can't you can't uh, see this but believe it or not this was actually nearly nearly gone or it was it was it looked a little rough let's just say on that that typical male male pattern baldness um a few years back before i started light therapy so that was one for me that it, that it was really cool so to it's see totally worked yeah it's it's real the idea of male pattern baldness as not being just a hormone issue but being a biochemical issue in energy production and hair follicles has a lot of evidence behind it so you're turning on your mitochondria and, and your cells are like oh I guess I should act like a younger cell. I think I'll make a hair, assuming yeah. that you're getting enough of the building blocks that you need, like silica, like collagen and proline and vitamin C and all the things that are required to make that stuff. Yep. Uh, so you've seen results from that. I know lots of people have as well. So uh, hair growth works. Is it going to make women grow hair too? Great question. We've actually had that, uh, had to field that a, a few times, but the answer is no, it's not going to cause your body to grow hair in places you've never, you've never grown hair. Uh, it's not going to uh, cause... Um, you know, women to get massive muscles or anything like that. It's basically just helping your cells work the way they were designed to work and uh, restore, restore healthy cellular function. I've always wanted a monobrow. Jeez. <laughs> no, it, it doesn't do that. But, but I can tell you, uh, my wife Lana uh, uses it and has definitely seen improvements in hair thickness. And it's in conjunction with just having the building blocks for the hair. I think it's harder to use uh, red light therapy to cause hair growth if you don't have <laughs> minerals that your body needs, for instance, or biotin and uh, and other uh, other things like that, yeah. uh, hyaluronic acid and whatnot. Uh, so, and that's all stuff that you mostly eat, and sometimes it's topical. But uh, she's definitely seen improvements in in hair thickness as well, but has not grown a goatee. And I'm, <laughs> I'm like, come on, Lana, grow a goatee. I just want to see it once, and and then and then she hits me. Uh, so, uh, it doesn't look like there's any issues with that. Um, what about, uh, mental clarity? How would you use, uh, this red and infrared light to improve your mental clarity? I would say that's one of the big things that, uh, we get, uh, feedback on. So with, with our devices, the entire uh, goal was to treat a large area of your body. So naturally most people tend to treat their face for, from the beauty benefits, uh, the increased collagen production, reducing wrinkles, uh, those sorts of benefits. And the nice side effect to that that most people don't think about is they're also getting their forehead. And so what most people find is a very calming, relaxing effect. Uh, so for people that are in an office building all day, they're, they're stressed out, they come home at the end of the day and they do that 10 minute treatment in front of the light and they find that they're able to relax, to de-stress. It's a very cool thing that, to hear that feedback from people that reach out and, and they say, I would totally didn't think this was going to do anything but I literally could feel the difference the first time I used it. What about eye safety? So you've got these bright lights shining right in your eyes if it's on your face. Do I need to wear cool sunglasses? Tell me I get to wear my Matrix ones. <laughs> Great question. So part of the whole FDA process is we actually have to go through the testing that uh, basically says, yes, this is okay for eye safety. So uh, not having to do, um, not having to use goggles or anything to, quote, protect the eyes. The wavelengths that are used in our devices are actually uh, beneficial for uh, your eye, for your <laughs> if eyesight. If you don't want macular degeneration, <laughs> you might want to get the right frequencies of light in there. Yeah. Did, so, did I violate any regulatory things when I said that? No, I think, I think there you, you go. See how I did that? 
So, I mean, the ten- intensity you mentioned is, is very bright. So what a lot of people do is just start a session with your eyes closed. And if you want, you can actually keep them closed. That's what I usually do. Um, but, you know, if some people open their eyes, it's really more of a comfort thing. It's not a, a danger. Let's talk a little bit about countering junk light. And in Headstrong, I wrote a lot about what fluorescent lights are doing. They're uh, not just fluorescent, sorry, LED in lights. We're not talking about frequency-specific LEDs, but actually these white or even warm white LEDs that are really, really high in the blue spectrum and are just lacking red and infrared entirely. Um, what is that doing to our bodies? And does getting higher doses of red and infrared even separately from the indoor junk light, is there? do you think there's a benefit to that? There may not be studies, but just kind of walk me through with the bad effects of junk light and on, on the skin, on the eyes, on the body, on the cells, and then what happens if you add red and infrared? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a ton of information out there that, you know, you've, you've obviously brought a lot of that to, to the marketplace in terms of the dangers of blue light, whether it's through the eyes, uh, obviously with the, the light that we take in through our, through our eyes, uh, you know, it basically goes s- straight through to, uh, to the brain and basically affects all of our entire homo- hormone processes. Everything that goes on with the body can, is basically disrupted by things that throw off our circadian rhythm with blue light being uh, a big factor there. And even blue light on, on the skin in abnormal, uh, amounts, which we certainly get through, you know, the typical office environment where you're, uh, under lights that are at maybe 5,500 degrees Kelvin or 6,000 degrees Kelvin, you know, the dangers there have, have, you know, I think, I think the world is starting to wake up to their, the issues with that. I think it'll be very interesting to see in the next few years, is there a real restorative benefit to doing red light afterwards? I, I would suspect that that's, it's quite likely that that'll be found out that it is, that's the case. You know, our, our biological systems evolved under analog light, you know, native, native, native light, so to speak. And so when you think about, you know, there, there's, there's some, some decent data that suggests that the average American spends 93% of their time indoors now under artificial light. And when you think about the, over the course or at scale, over the course of someone's lifetime, that's such a significant amount of time spent under artificial light, which causes in most respects causes cellular stress. Uh, a bunch of, you know, our cells kick off a bunch of reactive oxygen species, et cetera. And that you, you see a bunch of the downstream ramifications of that. And so that, those restorative benefits of healthy wavelengths of light, red and near infrared light in, uh, specifically, um, they can help restore natural, you know, help, help restore some of that, some of that cellular function. So our cells can actually heal from being exposed to so much artificial blue light um, on, on such a regular basis. But that, that stat, you know, whether it's 93% or 80%, I mean, it's such a, uh, an enormous amount of time. And even, even me and speci- specifically, you know, before Juve, I've spent most of my time in like a corporate environment from the time most of us wake up in the morning, get ready for work, commute in a, in a, in some sort of, you know, transportation with windows that block light. Then we go into the office exposed to all kinds of artificial light in the winter months. It's, you know, you don't get any natural light by the time you go home. And it's like, you literally spent the entire day without getting any sort of natural light. And so, um, at scale, that's such that can have a, a significant amount of, of, of ramifications. And, you know, we, we touched on this earlier, but just even getting a little bit of, of, you know, biohacking, just a little bit, getting five to 10 minutes of, you know, healthy light from something like the juve on a routine basis, um, that can be extremely, extremely beneficial. It makes a lot of sense. One of the other things that I look at for all the the technologies that we use at the Bulletproof Labs, we actually are spinning that out. It's now called Upgrade Labs. It's becoming its its own entity. And it's all about ROI. And the return on investment for red and infrared light 
Well, you can take your shirt off on a conference call. <laughs> maybe not in your cubicle, uh, although maybe at Bulletproof, uh, depending on you know <laughs> what you're wearing underneath your shirt. But uh, I certainly do it at home, and a lot of people have ample opportunity to put a light on their face or to even do this uh, while you're brushing your teeth. So it, it's additive to your day, but it doesn't take an additional chunk of time away from your job or your kids or your friends or whatever you wanted to do. So the idea is just change that environment around you uh, to give your body things that make it work better so that you can make better use of all the other time you have. And if it's time that doesn't take away, I, I, that gets an extra bonus point for me in my stack of biohacking stuff. I mean, you guys came in, you've toured the, the alpha place where I test all the technologies for Bulletproof Labs, all these biohacking things. And there's somewhere around a million dollars invested in this place. And the idea there is I only have so much time that I can use that stuff each day because most of it requires my attention or effort, but light therapy doesn't. You turn it on and you get it. And, <laughs> and it's kind of idiot proof, uh, which is something that makes it valuable. So my, my strategy for this, I block half the blue light, but not all blue light during the day because you need that signal. I use the true dark glasses for that. And then I'll use uh, red and infrared. I'll, I'll use the Juve panel uh, whenever I get a chance. Oh, I don't need to be on video for this call. I'll just turn it on. And so you can actually get an extra dose of this stuff, which seems pretty good. And if it has, and in fact, there are studies for all those things I just listed. And if it has some of those benefits for me, I don't know if I needed five more minutes or five less minutes. It doesn't really matter. Perfection isn't there. But that that's why light, I think, passes the bar as a cool biohacking technology. Um, it's not just me, though. Tell me about what NASA did to look at this. It turns out the space program is one of the most interesting places for biohacking data. You get special forces people, they always know weird stuff, the elite athletes, uh, the anti-aging crowd, uh, which I'm probably closest to, and then astronaut programs. So what did NASA figure out about red light and when? Back in the early 90s, uh, they were first exploring using LEDs actually to grow plants in space. And I'm not sure when it crossed uh, their mind or, or what point that came, but uh, they actually ended up uh, starting funding a study by Ward uh, with Ward Photonics in the early 90s using uh, 670 nan nanometer uh, red light uh, for the purposes of uh, helping the astronauts not lose bone density and, and muscle mass while in space. And the, the result of the study was so compelling that um, you mentioned special forces and that's exactly where they went with it next <laughs> is, is they took this, uh, warp warp 10 device at the, at the time it was, uh, you know, about the size of your fist and you could treat small injuries or wounds. And again, they had really impressive results, basically, uh, cut the recovery time from, uh, superficial wounds, uh, in half. So that was kind of the, the beginning of, I think the, uh, light bulb going on, uh, if you will. Uh, that LEDs uh, could could really have some really cool uh, biological effects. Uh, so NASA figured this out. Let's see, 1993, they started looking at this. Mm -hmm. And here we are only, geez, a lot of you, 25 years later, basically. <laughs> uh, and only in the last 10 years have people really started even paying a little bit of attention to it. And I started doing this about five years after uh, the NASA research came out because in the the dark corners of biohacking, the stuff has always been out there, but few people are going to try that sketchy thing you found on Yahoo right. uh, and all of that. But if you if you look at what's happening now in biohacking, we're just having all these cool new things coming out of the woodwork, and some of it is total BS. 
and some of it isn't. And after a while, you sort of develop radar. And, and this is compounded by the fact that most medical innovators are even worse than Silicon Valley engineers at making companies. And what I, what I learned in Silicon Valley, uh, where I was you know, co-founder of a part of the company that held Google's first servers and, and all this, and, and actually used to really make me mad, is that the best technologies uh, almost never win. Uh, because they aren't marketed well and subpar technologies that are marketed well oftentimes win. So it's, it's funny in biohacking, I think it's worse uh, because you, you get these, these people who think really oddly and come up with, I noticed this crazy thing, but then they face not knowing how to, how to take that to the world. And then they don't understand the regulatory hurdles and frameworks. They don't understand how to build a team and how to not micromanage and all that. So if you have something that's really special and you want to bring it to the world, a, you have to believe it's special enough that you're willing to stop whatever you're doing and start building a company and put your personal assets on the line and raise funding and risk failure and and all that. So it, it just seems like the mindset that creates awesome stuff oftentimes isn't the mindset that allows you to hire the right people or to actually do that stuff yourself. And you guys have started out skeptical. You looked at the data, you started playing around with it and you said, all right, we're going to actually start a company around this. And the combination of, uh, Justin, you have the engineering background to do this and Scott, you've got the medical device background and say, all right, we're going to put our careers on hold and go do this, which makes me excited for the future of biohacking because now you're saying we found an effect. It's really important. It's still being studied, but it's been studied enough that it's worth your time and then worth people's time to do it. Um, before we finish up the interview, uh, Give me the, the kind of one minute story of when you decided you were going to stop doing what you're doing and start a company in a space that no one's heard of. Uh, my wife, Melissa, was actually the first one to stumble across uh, red light therapy and was just basically blown away with the benefits, but was frustrated by the fact that there were literally no products on the market that were effective that you could use at home. Uh, basically, the only things out there were uh, small handheld devices, basically with a you'd use it for a long period of time. And then if you were faithful at it, you could maybe do your whole face type thing. So that was really what the, where, where we got started. And she came to me and it's like, I need something I can use in my whole body. And, and so we, we started, you know, eventually we jumped in, we dove into the science and we found out, wait a second here, this is actually a real thing. It's not, it's not woo woo. It's, 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 it's real. The benefits are real. They've been proven. And we were basically kind of stunned that no one was actually doing uh, it previously. The only the only products on the market were basically for for skin health, and that's where you know Scott, with his kind of marketing background, was like, "Wait a second, here this this could be a real opportunity." Um, so it, it started out small, um, but uh, we kind of rolled up our sleeves and and dug into things, and you know now with uh, my wife Melissa and Scott's wife Liz, we've all. Uh, been doing this now for what is it three years a little over three years now and it's uh it's been it's been really cool i can honestly say it works way better than i ever dreamed it would just to add to that i mean i think uh, i don't just justin was probably even less skeptical than me you know when when our wives first introduced us to to light therapy my, my background is like traditional med tech you know i mean we're talking about like cardiovascular stents and balloons and heart valves and that kind of stuff and so when i thought light therapy or red red light as, as like an actual therapeutic uh you know, type of, uh, type of therapy. It sounded w way off my radar. Fortunately, they, they sort of like, uh, persisted, you know, and, uh, and my wife in particular is like, you just look at some of the, the, the science. And if I mentioned this earlier, like the science around photobiomodulation or light therapy is, is 
completely legit. I mentioned the stat earlier, but um, there's over 200 double-blind placebo-controlled trials on continuous wave light therapy. You compare that to any other, you know, therapeutic intervention, you'd be hard pressed to find something similar. So there's there's loads and loads of science. But as Justin mentioned, there back when we sort of we didn't intend to start a company, but when we were sort of doing some diligence, there there weren't really any devices that delivered you know, the right wavelengths with a significant amount of or a clinically relevant dose of energy that across your entire body that you could use in a convenient way. And so that's sort of what started us down this, uh, down this path. And, you know, here we are some three years, uh, three years later with a completely refreshed, uh, design and pretty, pretty excited to introduce that. Very cool. I got one more question for you guys. And I know you listen to the show, so you probably know it's coming. D- did you prepare? That if, if someone came to you tomorrow and said, I want to perform better at everything I do as a human being, your three most important pieces of advice. Um, Scott, why don't you go first? <laughs> that's it. That's a great question. So I, I would say um, from, a, from a mental standpoint, um, be always be curious. The other thing would be always be learning, which I guess one, sort of similar to the always be curious. Open-minded, always be learning. Um, and then uh, how can I not, uh, how can I not end it with, um, you know, be more focused on how our bodies sort of have evolved, right? Be more attuned to that um, and use things that are in, are in alignment with, uh, with that sort of approach. Sweet. All right, Justin, what do you think? So I would say the, the number one thing is think about how uh, things used to be 200 years ago and do what you can to minimize the impact that society has had on the way that we have to live today. So what are some things that you can do with that in reality? Uh, first, I would say is don't undervalue the importance of light, whether that's sunlight, photobiomodulation. It plays an incredible role in health. I thought you were going to tell me I had to wear a powdered wig and a corset. I'm really, I'm really that was, happy you didn't go there. That was number two. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> number two, I would say... Uh, Spend time in in nature uh, up here in British Columbia. It's ap- the the scenery and just the silence of of nature and just hearing the leaves rustling. It's it's amazing calming effect uh, that I think far too many of us uh, miss out on for large chunks of our life. Um, and then thirdly, I would say value um, yourself and think about what you're worth. Uh, because there's people that care about you and having an outlook on life and enjoying life every day is something that uh, most of us don't put near enough energy into doing. Beautiful. Thank you. Uh, you've been listening to Justin Strand and Scott Nelson from Juve. Uh, your website is com. That's correct. Juve.com. But if you go to juve.com forward slash Dave, for every device, Juve device purchase will actually gift you a copy of Headstrong. And one of the reasons we're, uh, we're doing that is because uh, your book, Dave, is, is rooted in, in so much science. Um, and as a, uh, as a company, we're big believers in education around light therapy, especially if it's based on, on scientific evidence. So that's one of the reasons we want to gift a copy of Headstrong for every Juve device purchase if you go to juve.com forward slash Dave. Well, thanks for that gift uh, for listeners. And this is worth doing. Uh, in my new book, Game Changers, that's coming out later this year, there's a section on red light uh, where I mention you guys, uh, because I think this is one of those fundamental technologies that isn't that hard to use. That's really helpful. So if you like the show, you want to try this stuff out. There's a whole variety from handheld stuff all the way up to full body panels on the Juve site. And thanks guys for including a copy of Headstrong. I think that'll help people. 
Absolutely. Thanks, Dave. Awesome. Thanks again for the opportunity, Dave. If you liked today's episode, you know what to do. Head to bulletproof.com slash iTunes, which is going to take you right to the Apple page where you can leave a review that says, hey, this show is worth your time. I'm hoping you learned a lot today about how important light is for biology, how we understand what it does on a cellular level and how you can build it into your day without spending a lot of extra time doing it, which is totally worthwhile. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.